All right, guys, welcome back to Tech Lore Talks. It's number 10 this time. Double digits, we made it. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, WWDC was yesterday, um, and there's a couple things uh, that Apple announced that we want to take a look at. Henry just did a review of his Synology NAS that he's been using for a while. I've been hearing a lot about that, so... Uh, there's a couple of things that he wants to add that he might not have been able to include in that video. You guys might have noticed that we've been pushing our form a lot more lately. Um, we're trying to get our community on places that we control rather than uh, being tenants in someone else's centralized service like Reddit. And uh, we got a couple other things to talk about today, so it should be a, should be a good episode. Want to start off with WWDC talk? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, let's talk about privacy and security announcements first. Last year at WWDC, we got big announcements like passkeys, uh, those rapid security updates. Um, we got, what else did we get? Uh, lockdown mode, that's the big one. Um, compared to that, uh, this year, there were relatively few uh, big privacy and security announcements. A couple things I had written down here. Um, Private browsing mode in Safari um, now blocks known trackers as well, so they're kind of building in that functionality. Um, I've looked in Safari preferences. It's on by default for private browsing, but you can enable tracker blocking for all browsing if you want, so that should be cool. We'll have to test out and see how that compares to an ad blocker. Have you looked at like the privacy announcements from Apple at all? Like just what they I said did. so far? Yeah, it's weird because they didn't really cover much. I guess they no. really wanted to highlight the reality vision and other stuff. They didn't really talk about the updates. So that's why we're going to talk about them now. There was um, there was one that I saw. It was like the photos uh, permission prompt on iOS has like a new, um, supposedly a new thing where you can choose what photos an app can access. But as far as I know, that's already how it works currently. So I'm not exactly sure what they changed there. Did you catch that at all? No, but I, I would hope it's just a better UI because right now it's really annoying. Like right now you like, because I, I pretty much, with the exception of Signal, I don't have any app that just has just untethered access to all my photos. And so I normally have to select, but the UI is really annoying because you have to be like, select more photos. And then it's like manage photos. It, it's kind of confusing a little bit. Mm. So hopefully they just cleaned it up. Improved I hope that. that's what it is. Yeah, that that's would be the nice. only thing I can think of because it's kind of annoying. Communication safety, that uh, photo scanning feature that everyone likes to talk about, it now scans videos. It's a feature that you can enable on uh, children's iOS devices. So um, like if they get nude photos it, via iMessage or something, it'll, it'll block it. They've added a setting for adults as well called sensitive content warning. So anyone can enable this on their phone and it should like detect uh, nude photos and videos being sent to you um, on iMessage airdrop. They've added an API for third-party apps to access this as well. So uh, that CSAM scanning was something that we talked a lot about last year um, when they were planning on adding that to iCloud Photos. And this is pretty different as far as like it working only locally on your machine, not in conjunction with Apple's cloud. But do you think there's like privacy concerns here anyways? Um, with Apple implementing local scanning on your device? Yeah, well, I was actually gonna ask you that as well, because I mean, obviously I know there's going to be the people that are just gonna be like, this is bad no matter what. Um, though I'd like to just give the benefit of the doubt where I can and be like, well, if this is done locally and it's just an opt-in setting, this isn't done by default, um, it's an opt-in setting. Um, it seems very targeted towards children, but I'm actually really glad, because I know you you know I complain about this a lot. About I hate when like photos? things are, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's fine. But what I really hate is uh, what I really hate is like how every like feature is designed to like give you better boundaries with your device is branded as a child feature, as right. if adults can't like have boundaries with their devices. They're always branded as parental controls. So it's really cool that they mentioned this is available for adults as a sensitive content warning. Because I was going to ask you directly, well, you know, hypothetically, if I'm someone who doesn't want to see any nudes or any kind of sensitive material on my phone whatsoever, should I just enable this? Uh, is there a privacy concern to doing this? And the fact that it integrates with third parties means that theoretically, even within like Signal, this would, you know, save me from having to see something I don't want to see on Signal. Right, I think um, that's the plan. And it's supposed to be privacy protecting in the sense that it runs locally. I think that's why Apple opened this up to third party developers. I can't think of any messaging platforms that do this off the top of my head 
like Twitter might. I know that they detect sensitive content and stuff that they post. But Discord does. It, Discord, or Discord is a good one. does, yeah. But that typically involves uh, like server side scanning on their end. So Apple having like one unified way to do it on their devices um, that doesn't involve the cloud at all is definitely a privacy bonus, I would say. It's always weird, like if you think about scanning stuff on your phone locally, but um, I think that this solves like a lot of problems that people actually have. Um, like you see all these, or I've seen all these articles about like how people get nude photos airdropped to them on the subway or something, right. stuff like that. So like this could block that and it doesn't involve, you know, Apple being the middleman um, in all of your communications um, outside of running that scanning locally on your phone, so. I have very few complaints with this. I think if you have an issue with this and you don't trust it to stay locally, I think you probably shouldn't be on any Apple products in the first place. But if that's still your stance, um, then you can just not enable this. Yeah, I think the so. biggest problem is just uh, Apple <laughs> releasing that cloud-based scanning thing. Like, the, the second that they mentioned that, it was a big mistake on there. Because now everybody's going to be thinking about that anytime that Apple, you know, scans anything on your device. It's kind of unfortunate, really. Right. Didn't they even release them at the same time? <laughs> so it was like hard to even tell the difference between yes, the two of them yeah. because it was like, we're releasing CSAM scanning and we're releasing communication safety as if they're like part of the same feature because that's probably what they were originally intending was for this to be kind of like a whole safety thing. But now they have to like decouple those two things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, rather than you asking me because I, I was very curious about your take on the passkeys sharing. Oh, passkey um, So sharing. now you can... Sh yeah, now you can share your passwords and passkeys like within families via iCloud Keychain. But I also wanted to ask, do you have any, like if someone, if, if one of your kids is like, screw you guys, I'm not using, you know, an Apple device and he's, you know, using a custom ROM or something, is he going to be able to get this passkey? <laughs> and also like, what do you think <laughs> right. about this? Yeah, it's, it definitely just seems like a way to um, promote like lock-in in the iCloud Keychain. Um, it's kind of like when I was covering passkeys in my other video, I was talking about how these companies right. are making like these passkey sync platforms that only work within their centralized silos. They don't, um, they don't like allow exporting or anything at any time. Um, stuff like that. It was a good video. No, that, you directly said that. Like you were on the money. You're like everyone's setting up syncing and all this, but it's only within their respective ecosystems, and they're trying to lock people in and Apple's like very much taking advantage of that right now. Yeah. It's a bummer. So I think it's, it's mostly just more of that. Um, like it's great if you're in the Apple ecosystem because you're not spending the money on a third party password manager. But I think that, um, third party password managers are going to be, they're going to have a more robust like set of sharing features. I think Bitwarden is coming out with passkeys soon. Um, just yesterday, one password launched passkey support in beta on their app. So, um, I've been using that and that should work with family sharing there as well. So there's already like options out there that are alternatives to this new feature. Sharing passwords like within your family with a password manager at all is probably a better solution than like texting each other the password every time you need to log into Netflix or something. So um, just from a security perspective, it's it would be good to switch to if you use iCloud Keychain and you don't do this already, for sure. Kind of a side tangent, I'm curious how Apple evaluates whether or not to screw people over. Because, like, I'm thinking about this, you know, if I, if I am imagining if I have, you know, a family, I have a partner and two kids, I would never want to, like, go all in on the Apple ecosystem, most likely, because of situations like this. Um, and let's... Let's make it this even simpler. Let's say that my partner hates iPhones and uses an Android device. I, like, like we're losing, they're, they're losing an iCloud keychain customer because we might be using something like Bitwarden or 1Password instead. So I'm curious, just like financially, from a business perspective, I'm sure they know what the hell they're doing, but I'm curious how they evaluate like whether or not to like lock people into an ecosystem or keep it open enough so people don't want to just move to other things. That's a good question. I th it probably just comes down to whether they think they can get you to buy their hardware or not, <laughs> mostly. Next topic, we can talk about lockdown mode that was expanded with some new protections. What the new protections are, I don't actually know. They've said that they encompass uh, safer wireless connectivity defaults, media handling, media sharing defaults, sandboxing, and network security optimizations, but I haven't seen exactly what all of those improvements 
are quite yet, so I'll have to look into that more. Um, the big thing is that it's added to watchOS now, so I think you can enable lockdown mode on all of your devices. Um, I think that was an oversight, kind of, um, honestly, when lockdown mode first launched, because I know that um, like when I enabled it on my phone, it blocked like certain attachments from getting sent to me in iMessage, but the iMessage preview on my watch showed them just fine, so... Um, it's definitely like an entry point into your account if they're worried about like rogue HomeKit or FaceTime invites getting sent. If your Apple Watch still rings, that's still a device connected to all of your other stuff that could be exploited potentially. Right. And I remember the first Techler talks, um, the very first one we talked about lockdown. And that was something we were kind of joking about, like, oh, and when are they going to release it for the Apple Watch? But I recall it being more of like a, a joke. Um, not that this is a joke. I think it's probably good that it actually properly integrates now, but it's kind of cool how a year later now it's available there. But I can't believe it wasn't released before then. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see the technical details here. It all sounds like good stuff. If they're going to have new protections for wireless connectivity, um, sandboxing, sharing defaults, and network security optimizations, I'm excited to see what those are. Um, and those all sound like just great under the hood updates to just make lockdown even more powerful. I'm, I'm very happy with how Apple's treated lockdown. Yeah. I was just going to say like this announcement, the thing I'm most glad about is that they're still focusing on it. Like they're putting attention into this product. It's not like a one and done. We did some tweaks. We changed some flags on our browser and now it's secure and we never have to touch it again. Right. They're, they're working on it. So that's, that's a good thing. Right. It's awesome because like they had the option of just like, well, we can just do this, push it out there, make people happy. And then, you know, when Safari gets an update, we just update WebKit and then we just keep the same stuff, you know, and they they do that to some extent. But like a year later, now we're seeing them again. I want to see the details, but like this looks like more than just, you know, they updated one thing in lockdown like this. These are like five technical things that they are working on to make it better. And they've already made updates to lockdown, I think, in 16.4. They already made some Safari updates then yeah. um, that broke a few more things. So, like, this is awesome. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to see, like, Apple, like, genuinely, like, back a product like this and make it better over time. Because, like, I don't know. It, it's just a great place to be, I think, for people who are on iOS and want, like, better security. Yeah, absolutely. I think that pretty much covers all the privacy and security stuff. Um, there were a couple Safari changes that they announced. Um, they added profiles now, so they basically just copy-pasted that Chrome feature that Brave and Google Chrome have had forever and added it to Safari. Um, And they added PWA support, so you can add websites to uh, your app launcher, your dock, and they run as like a standalone app. So I know you're excited about that. (laughs) Uh, Do either of those two things, are they going to convince you to try switching to Safari when uh, the next macOS comes out? I mean, so, okay, first (laughs) off, I just want to say, I, I love the changes, love the profiles, and I, I absolutely cannot express how much I love the web apps. You, you know, everyone knows I love web apps. <laughs> so, like, this is this is fantastic because, and not just the fact that Apple's supporting them, because I probably won't be using them um, on Safari, and I'll get to why, but um, it's more important for me because so far the only big company that's really doubled down on web apps is Google that I've seen. Um, Microsoft hasn't really done much with web apps in Windows, or anything. Um, I think Edge does support web apps, but I mean, just as an extension of Chromium. But like Microsoft hasn't done much. Apple hasn't done much. So it's been kind of just Google Chromebooks and stuff like that, that really like dives into web apps. And there's always kind of been this lingering question, are web apps actually the future? Because in my eyes, and I think a lot of people, they want it to be the future because it allows you to publish just one unified app and it works properly on everyone's devices. You don't have to develop an iOS app, an Android app, a Microsoft Store app, a Mac OS app. You just push a web app. I mean, there's like so many advantages to web apps. And personally, I just love them for my own privacy and security and my workflows. Um, So I don't know. And so where I'm going with this is I'm glad that Apple has now... Apple's doubled down on web apps. So they added in 16.4 web apps on iOS, I believe. Was that 16.4? Well, they've supported web apps for quite some time, but they added uh, notifications. Well, they're calling them. They're calling them actual web apps now. It's not just add app to home screen. But like, technically you're right, but like this is a shift in how Apple's even treating it because now you can actually call them web apps. Um, And like you said, there's notifications now and everything else is happening. 
and now they're doing it on desktop as well. So if Apple is supporting web apps and doubling down, I think we as an entire community can say web apps are here to stay. And I can't believe Firefox dropped good support for them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is annoying. Um, I just thought of this question. Um, do you think that Apple is supporting web apps now and this is going to be yes. their answer to sideloading? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I knew you're going right away. I think it will be. I think that's why they're doubling down on this because now they can say, well, we do allow third-party apps because, um, but so for people who don't know, they actually allow you to install web apps from even third-party browsers on iOS. So theoretically, once Brave is running its own Chromium or whatever, or Chrome on iOS, you can actually add web apps installed via Chrome and it'll open in Chrome, not even in Safari, which is awesome. Right. But I have a feeling that that's what Apple's going to try to say. They're going to be like, well, web apps are still apps and we have integrated them just like your other apps. It even integrates into the operating system, into the settings. Um, I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, that's what I see <laughs> happening. <laughs> right. Um, and I guess to answer your previous question, I still won't, don't want to use Safari because it's not cross-platform. Like that, that's pretty much it. Like I, I don't want to like be stuck on iOS and macOS and only use a browser that's limited to those devices. Sure. Um, if I'm using a virtual machine or if I'm using a different laptop or a different phone, I mean, I'm testing things all the time back here and I'm using Linux devices, um, Android devices, Linux phones recently, like I'm testing a lot of things back here. And if I can't have a unified browser, then I don't really care. Um, plus, as cool as this is for Safari users, it's nothing we haven't had in like Brave or I guess I could, I can't say, I just, I literally can't say brave. Firefox. Yeah. <laughs> mostly Brave. Um, I can't say Firefox though. And I guess, cause like for people who don't know, Firefox dropped like proper native web app support several years ago. Um, and it's something that I'm super pissed about and a lot of people are pissed about. And the worst thing is their cited reason for this, like in their, in like Bugzilla or wherever they do this is they don't want to duplicate efforts from other web browsers. <laughs> it's like it's they're like, describing what? Firefox. <laughs> right. It's like that's a feature. Like yeah. that's a staple feature on other browsers. You're not duplicating it. You just have to match the features that other like browsers offer. So for Firefox not to support this now is actually really bad because now every browser that you download, every browser you download will now support web apps properly except Firefox-based browsers. Um... And I already know, I'm sure you, you mentioned this on Matrix. People are like, but you can do web apps on Firefox. We're talking about like actual like integration with your operating system here. That doesn't rely on a third party extension in Firefox to do the work for you from some random developer. Yeah, I looked at that extension no too. It's convoluted. <laughs> like, it's right. not a simple like, solution. No offense to the developer. I'm sure it's a great extension. It's just like that shouldn't be an extension in the first place. What about you? I just I, I don't know if I can switch back to uh, another browser after using Arc. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll switch, but I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably use um, the web app feature for like messaging apps and like ProtonMail. I'll have them separate and then I'll use. Um... OK, Henry, <laughs> I got to admit something. I did install the developer beta <laughs> on my laptop. Oh my god. <laughs> You're so unhinged, dude. So, so I have actually set up a couple of web apps already. Um, and they work super well. Um, the, the annoying thing about Brave web apps for me was that when you opened one, it also opened Brave at the same time. Like, So I couldn't just have it open and have Brave quit. And um, when you clicked a link in a web app, it would open in Brave and nothing else. And Safari web apps have neither of those problems so far. Web apps just open as if they're an app, they're not tied to Safari at all. And when you click a link in them, they actually open in your system's default browser. So what I can do is I can have web apps like Discord, um, for example, or the form or my ProtonMail in like a Safari web app, but uh, I can keep my own personal default browser separate and open everything in them in that. So that's probably what I'll be doing um, just because I don't want to switch to Safari for Safari itself for browsing. Um, but I do like the web apps feature so far. It works super well, actually. Right. So you're planning to use Safari as like just a central manager of all your web apps and have it link and open into Arc. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. And I'll probably just never open Safari at all after I get all my web Got apps it. set up. That's a really good, that's a good setup because at least for myself, normally things that I have as web apps aren't things that I need the most protection for 
generally because it's just like five sites. So you're only a like just from a from like an attack surface perspective, you're only concerned about five websites. You're not just browsing the entire internet. But B, they're normally trusted websites like ProtonMail and other messengers like things like Matrix, I assume you probably added a web app for and things like that. Um, as if the Matrix client isn't just a web app anyway. Right. But like, <laughs> well, that's that's the main thing I'm using it for. I'm just replacing every Electron app on my on my device with these web apps. It's way better. I think that's all the browser stuff. Um, do you want to talk about the reality? What do they call it? Apple Vision Pro. Yeah. Headset? Uh, not not really. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like kidding. But I don't know. It's just yeah. like so dystopian for me. It's hard for me to talk about. Yeah. It's it's weird. <laughs> um, I didn't realize. I thought it was kind of like a Hololens thing, where it was like a transparent thing that they projected um, like images into the world on. But it's actually just like a VR headset. It's it kind of fooled me because they have this translucent um, back where you can like see their eyes. And then I was reading more about it. And it's that's just like a screen behind there. So it's all virtual, but it's pretty much just a VR headset. Um, I don't know. I just don't see, I don't really see like myself ever using VR in general. And I don't know how many people would either. I feel like there's this like niche of people in the tech industry who really want VR to take off. You could think of like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, (laughs) um, and his metaverse. And it seems very disconnected from reality to me. I agree. I think it's hard to tell. I mean, to be fair, I feel like no company, I mean, Facebook puts out new products all the time and most people don't even care or hear about them because it's Facebook. Um, Google hasn't really put out a real thing. I don't know. I just feel like there also hasn't been like a super compelling offering from a company that was like super mainstream either. Yeah. Apple um, could and obviously this is the people to change that. Right. Not this one, because I think this is definitely aimed at enthusiasts, especially given the price tag of $3,500. But um, like theoretically, let's say Apple released, you know, a budget version next year that was $500 um, and like anyone can get one and it started becoming more normalized. Maybe then we'd start seeing like, you know, it actually being utilized. But yeah, as of right now, I think it's really just like a bunch of tech geeks who think the tech is cool and want it to be around. Um I don't know. For myself, I also don't really see any real use case with the exception of like, and I'm so, by the way, the context before I even get into like the positives, I hate all of this. Like, I really hate it. I I hate the concept of like not going to a movie theater and instead staying on your couch at home and having your own movie theater. Not because it's not cool tech and it's not incredible and it's not probably better, cheaper, blah, blah, blah. It's just the fact that it's one more thing that's keeping us isolated from everyone else. So just from a pure humanity perspective, I think this is all terrible. And this is going and like even in WWDC, I don't know, like they were trying to make it look natural when the friend went over there to like interrupt the person, but it didn't look natural at all. And that's what it's going to look like in real life. Like people are just going to be like <laughs> zombies just looking around with their fucking VR headsets. People are going to be like tapping them on the shoulder and they're just going to. And then their like, eyes will come into annoyed. view. <laughs> like, right. It's like, so... let me dial in my eyes and look at you through this VR headset. <laughs> there right. was a really I think that's, unhinged it's, scenes. That's the default. It's the default of, I'm going to be by myself. Oh, let me dial you in if I choose to. And I feel like that shouldn't be the default. There was that one scene where, like, the parent was watching their children play through this VR headset and they were, like, taking 3D photos of them. That's, like, just really unhinged to me. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think it's crazy. And um, I I don't like it. But with that said, as what I was saying was, I do appreciate the tech and, like, from a pure practical perspective, I feel like this is one of the products that I might like draw a line in the sand, no matter how useful it is. I probably don't ever want to buy it just from a pure like morality perspective on my end. But like the concept of being able to go to my desk, um, when I, like, you know, the Synology review I just edited, I'm editing, you know, my, pom- my Pomodoro break ends. I'm about to start working. I put on my headset. I open my computer, boom, I I go into my ideal workflow. It doesn't matter if my desk is messy. Like I literally get transported into like a super clean workflow that feels like I'm working in like my dream location. Maybe it has like ambient music in the background or like a a waterfall with just some like dripping water. 
And then I have like two or three massive like 4K displays in front of me. And like, it's like the perfect setup without actually needing any setup. Um, so from a pure like work efficiency perspective, that's freaking cool. So would but, you consider that just for like an at desk experience? You just have that it for is that probably one the use case most, and nothing else? Right. That's probably the most I would ever consider using a product like this. Yeah. Um, I would never want this to be like a personal product of mine or something that replaced any kind of real connection with people. Um, I already despise social media and how that impacts people. And this just takes that 10x to where like you're actually sacrificing because at least with social, well, even with social media, though, like if you're at a concert, all you see is people looking at a, a preview of the concert not actually looking at the concert, which is crazy to me. When I go to a concert, I'll take like a 10 second video of the intro um, and then maybe like a couple photos and my phone stays in my pocket the whole time so I can actually enjoy it. But a lot of people are just recording the whole thing. And it's like, hey, if the person next to you recording is recording the whole thing, why don't you just get it from them and enjoy the concert yourself? But I don't know, I, I, I just philosophically really disagree with this whole thing, but Sorry, yeah, this is a big tangent. I don't know. On my end, I, I think I the most I would ever use this for is from like a work perspective. Um, because it probably would be more cost effective. Like imagine if they make like a budget version that's a thousand dollars rather than buying like three high end four K displays. I mean just the displays alone are replaced by this. Yeah, like imagine even the pro display XDR that they have now. It's like what, five grand or something? So even the current reality pro is a better deal than that. If the if the quality is on par with that anyways, um, like it could be very cost compelling. Um, and I think it'd be good too. I mean, they literally, when they showed the Mac OS, that was cool. When you just open the MacBook and it just auto shows that, that was sick. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's really hard for me because the tech is so cool, <laughs> but I, I just know this is bad. Like, I know it's bad. I know it's going to get worse. I know. And it, the worst part about this is seeing how, like, it's it with a flip of a switch. Like, we're seeing stuff like Neuralink happen. And we're seeing stuff like this happen. With a flip of a switch, these are going to be the two th same things in, like, 15 years. So, like, in 15 years, it'll literally just be, like, attached to your ear or even in your head. And it's just within you. But there is no headset. And I hate it. I hate all of it. <laughs> And I'm watching Severance right now, too. Oh. So this is all just like, this is awful to me. Oh, this, the Severance is so good. It's such a good show. I'm so glad you're it's watching a good it. Show. How far are you into it? I'm about halfway through the first season. Okay. So it's it's good. It just gets better, um, man. It's crazy. <laughs> right. It's it. funny. The, the person I'm watching it with, you know, I, I mentioned, because, okay, so I, I was talking with Jonah about Severance because I'm watching it with someone right now. And I messaged Jonah about it. And Jonah's like, well, did you know that, like, because um, we're, we're kind of friends with, like, uh, Adam from OMG, LOL. Like, my personal website's hosted there. Um, and he also has Neatnik. And it's like, he hosts Neatnik. Adam hosts the whole Severance wiki. <laughs> and I messaged my friend. I'm like, oh, I kinda, I'm kind of like friends with the guy who hosts the whole wiki <laughs> for Severance. And they're like, what? <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Do you have any other? Sorry, I kind of like really hogged the conversation on the, the Vision Pro. I, I had a lot to get off my chest about this. No, I, I, I mean, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I think that like that workflow mode where you just have, where you can work in like a ideal environment on your computer or whatever is probably the most compelling use case. Um, I think Apple knows that because there was not a lot of like emphasis on 3D um, like virtual reality worlds that you could enter with this headset, even though that should be possible with their like partnerships with Unity. But like all of their demos um, were basically just like people projecting these flat screens into the real world that they could work on or look at photos in and stuff like that. So. It seems like that is Apple's focus. I don't know. I don't know if I would get one, but if it was cheaper than like a three monitor setup, maybe I would get one for my desk. <laughs> I think there's just one more Apple topic and then we can move on. Um, the thing that I noticed yesterday um, was that with iOS 17 and macOS, um, what is it, Sonoma? Is that the new one? Yeah. Um, they've pretty much cut off all of their older devices that are older than five years. So what it seems to be on the Mac end is um, pretty much everything without either a T2 chip or Apple Silicon is no longer supported. Um, and then on the iOS end, they're dropping support for the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10, um, which 
many people probably in the more techie community are probably familiar with those being the last phones that support like that checkmate jailbreak exploit. So we might be seeing the end of that run sometime soon. We'll see how that works out. Um, but five years is a lot less than I think people are used to because I remember just a few years ago it was easy to tell people like oh Apple Apple devices last for seven eight even sometimes more years on average it seems like and now they've been cutting this back um, I was kind of wondering do you think that is something that we're going to see continue like will these devices just not last as long or do you think that this is mainly because of the um like Intel to Apple Silicon transition. And when that finishes, we'll see that Apple Silicon devices get a much longer lifespan um, again. It's it's hard to tell. And like, I guess we'll never know until we wait a few until years. Until it happens. But, right. But I don't know. I, I, I want to think optimistically about this and think that it's temporary because this has constantly been increasing. Like, especially the iPhones. The iPhones, every single model has increased in the, in the amount of time that Apple has supported it. And this is the only exception to that. This is like the first iPhone that they've cut early. Um, And like, I I want to think that it's because of just, it's just an individual incident. But uh, perhaps Apple is dropping support for things sooner. Um, I guess we don't know. The Macs make a lot more sense to me. The iPhone's what confuses me. The Macs make a lot more sense because of the transition to Apple Silicon. I'm sure they just want to just forget Intel's everything. Um, right. And uh, the Apple Silicon chips are like leagues more secure than anything Intel's ever put out. So they probably just don't even want to deal with them and get people on Apple Silicon ASAP. I get it. It's still not ideal. It's still going to like leave behind a lot of users. But it makes sense, I think. And I'm like not as critical about that. The iPhones have been using... There's been no fundamental shift in like iPhone technology. Apple's been using uh, their own chips uh, in the iPhone since the A4, which was in, I'm just looking this up now. What was, what phone was this in? First generation iPad and the iPhone 4. So a long time um, to be on fully Apple designed chips. So I guess we'll see. Maybe they just wanted to cut out that exploit for the jailbreak. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But I mean, I'm hoping that this is just an individual thing. That's kind of my best guess, but I don't know why it would bother them so much. But, like, I mean, just looking at the iOS 17 and macOS Sonoma announcements, like, they're not adding a lot of new things. And they're not even cutting support for all Apple devices because, I mean, all Intel Macs, because Intel Macs with a T2 chip, like the 2018 MacBook Pro, um, are still supported. So I don't really know... I don't know if there's a technical reason for this. I think they're just trying to get rid of their older older technology at this point for, for better or for worse. Um, do you want to talk about Synology? Yeah, um, it was interesting because you, you reached out and you were like, I can't believe you didn't thank me, <laughs> which is true because like you helped so much with the whole Synology setup. And so like I can thank you now at least, but um, you were included in the original A-roll recording and the original script, but the original recording was like 20 minutes and I had to cut that down and eventually that did have to go. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate that a lot. Um, and it was a really hard video um on my end because a i was experimenting a lot i want to make the videos a little bit more personal um and that was my first attempt because also it kind of had to be like this is a video talking about my whole digital life and like what i've been going through there's no way not to make that personal it would have been just bizarre yeah i think it turned out really good like i think it it all worked out right i'm glad you think so yeah it was it was kind of risky on my end it was really hard it's also i think the hardest review i've ever done and I say that confidently because it's such a brand new, different device I've never interacted with before that literally changed quite literally everything I do, like to some extent, maybe with the exception of Signal. Signal is like the only constant, like literally password storage. I, I did experiment with it. I didn't eventually like everything ended up being the same on my end for password storage, but I did experiment with password storage. I experimented with like web browsing, data storage, work, personal photos, videos, like literally everything in my life at some point 
I test it on a NAS. And so I've never reviewed a device that's that thorough, that like stress tested my whole digital life for like 10 years. Um, and that took months for me to do. Yeah. Especially know, because like- Did you touch on that in the video? Ahead. I don't know if you touched on that in the video, like how long this has been, but like you've been working on this NAS stuff for, <laughs> for a really long time, like behind the scenes and all of our chats, getting all our workflows switched over, that kind of stuff. It's, <laughs> it was a long process for sure. Just so people are, are, are in the loop, Synology sent the NAS to us for free but they didn't pay for the drives or anything like that. So we kind of got like a 50% discount on it because the drives ended up being about the cost of the NAS. Um, and like, I don't know, I guess like it's up to people's decision if that influenced the review. I tried to not let that influence the review. I feel like I was still pretty critical of a lot of things because there's things to be critical about. Like the clients are pretty lackluster sometimes. Yeah. Um, and the, um, I think Quick Connect has issues. I think that it not being open source is kind of whack given like the target audience of this thing. And um, what else? There was another big thing. Um, no wire guard. Like what the <laughs> hell? Like what yeah, are we living in 2010? Ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah. The biggest thing though, that like you definitely helped with is tail scale because tail scale was like the game changer. And that's what finally brought everything together because the NAS worked really well for myself and it was working well for me, especially locally, but I really was struggling to get it to work with Nate and Tori. Nate for surveillance support and Tori for our video editing. Right. So that was the game changer. Yeah, I was kind of uh, sad that you didn't bring that up in the video because I think it's great Like if you're self-hosting stuff at home, just in general having like a secure network that extends beyond your own like router is super, super useful. I don't know if it's like something that you could cover in a full video, but it's something that people should check out. Like if they, if they do this kind of self-hosting stuff themselves. Right. And it's pretty universal too. Like that is a much easier con configuration to set up on just a Raspberry Pi. Right. So you could at least have like a few files, even if it's like your password manager, you can set up like a key pass database and just connect to it via tail scale on any device. And that's a way to synchronize your passwords. Um, so yeah, that'd be a cool video to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on, it was just so hard, dude. Like everything felt important in that review and cutting it from 20 minutes to like the less than 16 minutes was already super hard to do. And I had to cut so many important things out. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough one. It was good though. I don't think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be worried about like Synology giving you that NAS influencing things. I can tell you, you the audience, that I have a Synology NAS myself um, that I paid a lot of money for because I, I'm not Henry, and um, I like it quite a lot too. I pretty much agree with everything that Henry uh, said in uh, in the video that just went up. So, um, is there anything that you didn't agree with that you were like? Uh. <laughs> just, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think it's kind of crazy that you're using Video Station instead of Plex, but that's just me. <laughs> have you tried QN? Is it QNAP? No, I have not. But I've seen some people uh, left comments about it. Uh, it's kind of an inside joke that me and Nate have, um, that QNAP gets hacked. Like, it seems like on a weekly basis. I don't know if have, have, we have, we ever mentioned this to you. It's like, no, it's like we, we see, we see headlines of like QNAP getting hacked and we send each other like, oh, another week, another QNAP hack. Here it is. <laughs> Cause it, I mean, it's ridiculous. Honestly, if you look up QNAP in the news, it's like an exploit on a regular basis is discovered. <laughs> and it's not just like QNAP is bigger. I think Synology is probably even bigger. So it's not like people are just focused on QNAP and not Synology for whatever reason. It's just QNAP is not like <laughs> a great platform. Yeah. QNAP warns customers to patch Linux pseudo flaw March 29th. Up to 29,000 unpatched QNAP storage devices are sitting ducks to ransomware February 1st. Yeah, it's not quite a weekly basis, but there's like periods. I mean, there was definitely like a few... Probably last year, there was probably like one every week for at least a couple weeks. I've heard that they're nice, um, like feature-wise, and they do some things that I wish Synology would do, um, like support ZFS, for example. That's kind of a nerd thing, but whatever. But I just can't... If you have a QNAP NAS, great. You should not port forward anything to it. <laughs> that's, all I w that's all the advice that I would share for you. Honestly, I wouldn't even on the Synology... Like I don't trust port forwarding anything. Like that was not even a consideration for me. Not not once was I like, I'm gonna compromise and just open some ports and make things easier for myself. That was never an option. I think tail scale or something like it is the way to go. 
Um, a VPN is probably also fine. If you have a QNAP NAS, I might not host a VPN on it just because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I trust their VPN software. You've been pushing the form a lot more uh, lately, I've noticed. I'm sure the whole right. community has noticed, you know, we made some changes to Discord, we closed out, like, we consolidated some of the channels and we tried to get people to move um, some more of the longer discussions to the form. Um, you've been making posts about it on social media more um, and on YouTube. Um, so the form is, I mean, the results are there. People are showing up. Um, we've been getting way more views, way more community interaction, lots of people getting their questions answered. It's a great place now. Um, is there a reason that you are pushing the forum so much? Like, why do you see that as the future of TechLore's communities? I, I think, like, a scenario that really highlights why I'm trying to push to the forum more. And, you know, I'm mentioning these two people, not because necessarily they did anything wrong, but like, I, you know, I was kind of following our Discord for like 24 hours closely to see what it's like there. And this is kind of similar in every real-time community, like Discord, where you're chatting nonstop. Someone mentioned, uh, someone asked, like, what are the first steps for privacy and security? And someone mentioned, like, move to a custom ROM. And then there was an unfolding debate for, like, a whole like four hours between two people who are like, well, how come you think that someone like has to be on a custom ROM as their first steps? Like that's way too extreme, blah, blah, blah. And then the other person's going, well, Apple locks you in and you can never be private on an Apple device. It's just impossible. And you're stupid if you think otherwise. And this was just an ongoing debate. It's pretty much people pointing at each other going, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And to this moment, like that person is still going in and like giving people crap for like talking about Apple in any capacity. The issue here is that these these communications are not designed in a way to actually resolve anything for the most part. It can happen. Like I'm not saying it's impossible. It's so possible, but like this sounds almost surreal. Someone comes in with a question, someone comes in and just answers the question. End of discussion. <laughs> like can you imagine if that's how like these like discussion platforms actually work? That's not how they work. And so Techlore the, the forum is so great because it aligns with the values of making privacy and security accessible to people, which is like you ask a question and people only respond if they have value to add. And if they have like a counterpoint, like if someone wanted to be like, hey, you should probably use an iPhone because I think that it locks you in and you're going to feel limited someday, then that's it. You made your point. People can upvote it, they can downvote it, but that's it. You're, if you keep spamming the same thing over and over, people are going to flag your post and you're just going to be ignored. Um, so it's a way for people to just very easily and efficiently leave their comments, help each other, and not just get into endless discussions. Um, and so I've been really trying to push it more because I think it really is the future. And now that we're seeing things like Reddit, like completely kill APIs and all this nonsense, not kill it, but like effectively kill API access. Um, things like our own Discord community that we control that integrates with RSS and even now has support for like ActivityPub. So we can even like down the road open this up via ActivityPub. And maybe someday we can even see like a federated discourse kind of world where like theoretically privacy guides and tech lore posts could be like synchronized on one timeline. And then like you can leave comments between it. Like that's kind of like the future of this stuff. And this is so freaking cool. Um, and so it's just been awesome. Um, if you haven't checked out the forum, it's, I think it's incredible. Um, I'm biased, but I think that like these forum communities are like the absolute best privacy communities I've ever seen. Um, they are privacy respecting, like everything we do is open source on discourse. Um, you don't even, doesn't require a phone number. You just need an email and password. You can even log in via SSO using like, we just added simple login support. So if you have a simple login account, you can literally just register for our forum directly with your simple login account. You don't need to even give us any information. Um, so it's it's truly incredible. I really have like almost nothing to say like that isn't positive about the forum. It also pretty much moderates itself. Like community members moderate themselves in a very like in a trust system and <laughs> nothing but positive things to say. It's great. Um, yeah. Right. I know. I saw a lot um, of community members saying like at least a couple saying that we came out looking really good after all this Reddit API stuff, like that, cause we switched to discourse. Like it's definitely a good move. <laughs> right. And that was like part of the reason we did it in the first place too, because we did get that question when we opened the forum of like, well, why didn't you guys just use Reddit? And it's like, A, I personally don't love Reddit. I think that like from a moderation perspective and an administrative perspective, it's really messy, but also it's a closed platform. 
Um, nothing, nothing, nothing's open source. And while you can create an account pretty privately, it's not like a privacy respecting platform either. Um, and this also gives us more flexibility as well. Like we can do so many cool things with our forum. I really think it was the right move. And I think it's a decision that's only going to age better with time as more and more of these platforms begin to shut down and make things um, more exploitive for people. And they want to monetize users more than actually build open networks. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big yeah. form shill myself, so I'm really happy that we're... It kind of <laughs> seems like we're entering a new golden age of these uh, self-hosted form communities. Like, I mean, with Twitter going down, with Reddit doing this, it's... Are we reaching the end of, like, peak social media platforms? Are they all just going to devolve into, like, chaos and spam and these short-form TikTok-style videos that... Reddit seems to be focusing now in their mobile apps. <laughs> I don't know. I, this is kind of new. Um, I don't know. People who are watching this are going to get kind of an inside look. Um, and I, I think we're going to do more formal PSAs. But I spent like three hours last night doing this. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's really important. But like um, on the screen, you're going to see and, you know, maybe I'll link this for podcast listeners, too. Um, actually podcast listeners just wait for a formal PSA, but, um, on the screen, you're going to see, like, I finally put together a flow chart of like everything that we do and post to, and I've already made a lot of modifications, but pretty much like we can essentially just post things to YouTube, Patreon, and our forum. And from there, everything else functions as a feed. And so, um, we shut down Twitter not too long ago because I just can't justify putting time into Twitter. Um, engagement wasn't really high. Um, people weren't getting that first. None of these platforms give that much value for us. Um, so it's really just to keep people updated. So it like feeds are probably the most important thing to do on like a platform like Twitter. Um, but I just didn't have the time to post to it. Well, now with the forum, pretty much like everything's automated. So people might've noticed that we're posting on Twitter again. We're posting on Discord um, feed updates. We're posting on Mastodon feed updates, and we're posting on Reddit feed updates. Um, and actually, this is very preliminary. Um, tel uh, Telegram as well now, and we're also talking about Matrix um, and bringing all these things back because now with all of this automation, thanks to like our forum and all the behind the scenes automation that we've been doing, we can actually set up feeds on all of these platforms, so you can kind of follow um, everything we're doing on any platform of your choice. So we're trying to use these tools as ways to like integrate and kind of bring together all these different closed communities in a way. Um, but you can also just join our forum and avoid all these communities, you know, like that's why the forum is so cool. So what you're talking about is know. like read only communities on like Telegram and Matrix, that sort of thing. We're not bringing pretty the Matrix much. community back. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Yeah. But yeah, uh, pretty much read only feeds. So like Telegram is just a channel. Um, there's no community tied to it. You just join the channel and it's going to post all our new content there. It posts all our new Patreon posts there and it posts um, the way it works back here, just so people have insight. Um, I can choose pretty much what posts on our forum to cross post to all our feeds. So like anything that's important or notable, like Apple released, you know, lockdown mode, I did a post and it automatically popped up um, on all these platforms. So if you really want a good central place to keep up with privacy and security stuff, not just our content, but just news and stuff in general, like you can now kind of do this via any platform of your choice. Um, Twitter, Mastodon, Discord, Reddit, um, Telegram. The only thing we're really not on is Facebook because I, I just morally can't open a Facebook account. I don't know. So like everyone who's in our forum, thank you all so much because you enable this to be such a good community. Um, and like, it makes me happy to open it every day pretty much to see like just the amount because it's the amount of value it provides. It's not even like, I don't care about the size of the community. It's like the value that it provides. Like there are like actual real discussions happening there. Like when Aurora, you know, we did shorts about this and, and everything. Like when Aurora is dealing with its like broken login system, if you were in our forum, you would be getting like real-time updates of people troubleshooting that. And there was tons of workarounds that people posted to like navigate the Aurora situation. Um, and this is like open to the public, not like Aurora who just posts updates on a freaking Telegram. Like, come on, this is like a big pet peeve of mine. Like people don't post things on like closed off platforms. I know you can like follow Telegram channels or like preview them. But like for any kind of tech support or to even view people who got tech support, you have to like load the group on this closed off Telegram nonsense. Like it's so crazy. Like at least use Twitter so people can link it, you know? Yeah, I, or, I know that your, your post on Mastodon linking to the forum discussion about Aurora really took off. I'm, 
I wouldn't be surprised if that got more views than Aurora's like official announcement just because it was like accessible on the web. <laughs> right. It's actually accessible to people, not just people who are following Aurora on Telegram. So like from a discovery perspective, it's much better for Aurora because then Aurora can actually share their voice and not rely on like people like us to do it for them. If I don't know if they want it. I'm not saying they wanted that. I'm just saying like if they ever did need to, they wouldn't need to rely on people outside of Telegram to share the voice for them. Um, it's just crazy to me. I don't know why anyone would like lock themselves into any closed platform, especially one that you can't like very cleanly share and reference in other places. Like at least Reddit, you know, you can link a post on Reddit and post it somewhere else and other people can share. But it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, the forum's done nothing but good. And everyone is so, so helpful. So great. It's all, all right. great. I have nothing but good things to say about it, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan. It sounds like we're chilling, but, like, yeah. I genuinely freaking love this thing. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not, like, bullshitting this right now. Like, I love checking this every day. Um, I'm, I'm learning stuff from my own forum community all the time. Like, people are posting things. I'm like, I had no idea that was a thing. Jonah has a YouTube channel now. I totally forgot to bring that up. How come day one... You were going, I think I'm just going to quit privacy. And day two, you make a privacy YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, you know. Well, it wasn't, it's not technically a privacy YouTube channel. It's your own YouTube channel, but you've only really talked you know, about. The first thing was very privacy related. I don't know. I just have to uh, have to try new things. Try to get more people interested in this stuff. You know, people don't want to read blog posts anymore. It's very sad for me, but <laughs> here right. we are. Well, it's... I like it so far, so yeah. Um, I, I'd love to see more privacy creators or people that even just like casually talk about privacy, even if it's not exclusively privacy. So well, I I, I'm working on some more stuff. That. Working on a matrix yeah. installation guide. <laughs> yeah. So the one you were supposed to do for us like, right. two years ago. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> stealing that idea and doing it on my channel instead. So go follow me, check it out. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, I will take over the outro. Um, it was a pleasure to be here. Um, WWDC is always kind of fun to recap, especially from the privacy and security angle because most um, creators online are covering all the cool tech. We're here to kind of cover the privacy and security side of things and a little bit of the tech. You know, we have our thoughts, but I think we're quite a bit more like <laughs> scared of the tech <laughs> than excited for it. So mm -hmm. um, definitely, hopefully a different perspective for you all. Um, we covered some other things happening back here, um, like our forum and our communities. Really, people join our forum. Like, you know, you don't have to join it. You don't have to register for it, um, but it does provide a lot of good value. And there's been a lot of news being posted there. There's like actual like updates being like hap like happening over there that are kind of exclusive to the platform right now so if you really want to see that that's over on the forum um, i'll leave it down in the description um, so make sure to join that and also join our patreon too patreon.com slash techlore um, that is where we're going to be really prioritizing things a lot um, in the coming days weeks but yeah um, lots of updates back here super excited to be on techlore talks again wanted to make sure we got on here before we push publish more interviews and jonah becomes irrelevant i just want to thank jonah for his time i want to thank uh everyone listening for their time. If you like what we're doing, join our Patreon. It helps us out a lot. And we're trying to give you some stuff back uh, in return for that. So thank you all. We also support Monero, Libra Pay, like pretty much PayPal, like everything else is on our TechLore support page, which is also in a description. See you all next time on TechLore Talks.